right? We think about all that's gone on here from the early history of our nation and the settlers that came here, and we think about where many of the things that we see right now began. And it may just take a movement here in New England that would change the course of our nation, even now. So I want to encourage you, timetopray.org, was it? Is that correct? It's time to pray.org. I encourage you to get go online and go ahead and sign up for that. And uh, I believe it's a it's it's a powerful thing when when believers begin to come together and pray for our nation, and for our people, and for our government, and all those in charge. So definitely want to encourage you to be a part of that this morning. So we've been talking about this. Uh, this is week six of the bridge to freedom, and of course here on the Cape again we talked about this, but we know what bridges do. Bridges take us from where we are to where we want to be. And we know the bridges here take us across the canal. And what I've been talking about specifically about bridges is that grace becomes the bridge in our lives that brings us to where we are today to where we want to be. It's God's grace that brings us to those places. Last week, you might remember a small tune that we started off with. I'm a believer, or I'm a receiver, when I saw his grace, wow, almost, almost got there, almost, it's close, <laughs> and we talked about how we're a receiver of God's grace, we receive his grace, and just like a radio, you know, I, I talked about a radio, how a radio takes in different signals, and receives different signals and airwaves, and then it broadcasts to others, right? It broadcasts something through that radio, through that speaker to other people. And one of the things we said was that a radio that takes in signals but doesn't give anything out is what? A broken radio. It's not working correctly. And that's the same thing in the same way that it works in our faith when we're receivers of grace, but we don't give it back out. When we receive and take grace in our lives, but it doesn't broadcast to other people. We're broken, if that's the case. And so we called this even beyond receivers, that when it doesn't go back out, we're not called just receivers, but we're called takers. See, we are to be receivers, not only just receivers, but givers of God's grace. And we don't want to look like that servant that was forgiven of a lot of things, and forgiven a lot of money. And he was given a lot of grace and a new lease on life. But then what did he do when he left the master's chamber? He found somebody that owed him much less. And that person used the same words, please have mercy on me, I'll pay it back when I can. And what did he do? He put him in prison. He didn't have grace. He received grace. He took grace, but he didn't give grace. You know, it's part of human nature to want grace for ourselves, but be blinded that we are not giving grace to other people. It's very easy to see when we need grace. Please give me grace here. But when somebody else needs that same grace for us, to be blinded by that and not see that we're not giving grace in the same way that we've received it. But you see, with the power of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we can do just that. We cannot just be receivers of God's grace but we can also be giving it right back out. We can be broadcasting that to others. We can be giving that grace and extending it to other people. 
How do we find out about this grace? <laughs> well, this grace is a reward. As we re read the Bible even, it tells us what grace does and how it works in our lives. In her book, Amazing Grace, the writer and poet Kathleen Nora shares what she calls the scariest story she's ever heard about the Bible. Norris and her husband were visiting a man named Arlo, a rugged self-man-made who was facing terminal cancer. During their visit, Arlo started talking about his grandfather, who was a sincere Christian. The grandfather gave Arlo and his bride a wedding present when they were married. It was an expensive leather Bible and a nice case with their name and gold letters there on the front cover. And then they received it, they left it in the box, and they never opened it. But for months afterwards, this grandfather kept calling and asking, hey, did you like that Bible? Arlo, Nora, Arlo told Norris, you know, my wife had written a nice letter, uh, thank you note. We thanked him in person, but somehow he wouldn't let it lie. He wouldn't give up on it. He just kept asking and kept asking every time we spoke with him, how do you like that Bible? Finally, Arlo grew curious enough to open the Bible. He said the joke was on me. I finally took that Bible out of the closet, and I placed it on the table. And he began to look in the pages of that Bible. And starting in the book of Genesis, with each book that was finished, there was a $20 bill. $20 for each book of the Bible that he went through. So over $1,300. And this grandfather knew that it, his grandson would never find it. <laughs> you see, the Bible is our guide to understanding grace. It's the key component of our spiritual growth. Without this, we are stagnant. Without this, we're not growing. Without this, we're not reaping the rewards that come from reading and understanding and applying God's word to our lives. It's a key component. So if we keep it closed, then all the rewards and all the benefits stay there. They do nothing. So it's important to growth. It's important to understanding grace. And we know if we've been talking about grace being the bridge to freedom. Now Cyril of Jerusalem was a bishop in the 4th century church in Jerusalem. And Cyril was charged with getting the, the candidates ready for baptism. And he took them through a little bit of a discipleship process. And there were things that he taught them that he thought were important to continue to grow in their faith. No matter where they were, that they would continue to grow. And they had some pretty strict requirements for baptism at that time. But there was one key thing that he continued to teach his disciples, that he wanted to make sure that they understood about their lives. And it's this phrase, the sum of our sins does not surpass the magnitude of God's mercies. The sum of our sins does not surpass the magnitude of God's mercy. You see, God's mercy and grace in our lives is always there. We can never outlast it. We can never do too much that we cannot be forgiven. So in other words, God's mercy and grace are inexhaustible. It will never run out. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? Amen. How many of you know this from experience? You notice that his grace doesn't run out because over and over again, you've had to run back to his arms like we sang this morning. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. Every one of us have been there at one point or another. 
And today we'll learn from one of the most popular and powerful hymns of all time, Amazing Grace. We just sang it. We sang it this morning. And there's power there, and there's a, there's a reason that that song has lasted for the amount of time that it has, that for many people who sing it out of their heart, who sincerely mean the words as they're singing them, are brought to tears because they understand how amazing and powerful God's grace is in their lives. And this, this hymn didn't just start off that way. This hymn was an anthem of change, of reconciliation. It was a signature of this author that said, you know what, I lived a pretty rough life earlier in my years, and I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. But God's amazing grace was there for me at my time of need. This man was named John Newton. He wrote this in 1772, four years before America became a nation. Newton, at one point in his life, was a slave master, a shipmaster that carried slaves from one place to another. He served as a shipmaster for several years doing this work. He saw firsthand the cruelty and the things that were on that ship as these people created and made in the image of God were loaded onto ships and packed in as tightly as possible to cross the ocean to become someone else's slave. He saw firsthand all of that. And in 1754, Newton abandoned his life as a slave trader. He abandoned seafaring. He abandoned the, sea trade, the, the slave trade and devoted his life completely to Christ. And he struggled with this past sin. If there's anybody that can understand God's amazing grace, it's somebody who's been there. It's somebody who's done things that they're not proud of, but today can stand because of Christ's righteousness, forgiven and cleansed of all the past. In later years, Newton fought alongside William Wilberforce to abolish the African slave trade in England. He described the horrors of the things that he saw and he experienced. And the passage of the Slave Trade Act happened in 1807. See, this song is not just about grace, but it's about a heart that was changed. It's about a heart that had been completely transformed, transplanted. His life changed. And he penned this hymn, Amazing Grace, because he recognized how amazing God's grace had been in his life. And it's because of that that we can sing with that same kind of heart of gratitude for God's grace at work in us. Many can attest to the lasting legacy of this hymn and the truth of this hymn that has been passed down to us. That's why it moves so many today. Amazing grace. That first verse, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I shared with you last time I talked about this particular verse. When I was younger, I used to sing this song out. I used to think I was singing that God saved a wretch like me. And yeah, I guess you can take again that next step and say, well, maybe he saved a tool like me. It kind of works. It, 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 it could work if you looked at it that way. 
But what's a wrench? Or what's a wretch? You know, somebody who's completely turned from God. Somebody who's done a lot of bad things that they're not proud of. And you know what? We, it says, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but I didn't. You see, when we were living in that sin, we didn't understand it. We didn't see it. We were blinded to the things that were going on in our lives. We were blinded by the impact we were having on other people because of our sin. We were blinded by the way that our sin had impacted the way that we live and the things that we did. We had blinders on. We didn't see it. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. God's law. So when we compare ourselves to God's law, we can see how sinful we are. The blinders come off, and we begin to see exactly what, how we've fallen short of God's glory. And then it continues to say, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Aren't we happy about that? Giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now we're made right and right standing with him. We didn't know how sinful we were. Many of us just assume that we are all just basically good. Have you heard that before? We're all just basically good. But we were blinded to the truth because every one of us, no matter what we've done, if we've broken one commandment, we're a sinner. If you've ever lied, you're a sinner in need of grace. But now we know that God's grace is at work in us. We were blinded to the truth. And if you didn't know, now you know. We were blinded to the truth. When the truth came out that we were all wretches or wrenches, we began to see things differently. There was clarity. I was once blinded to my sin, but now I can see it for what it is. That's why the world is the way that it is. It's sin in us, and it's sin in others. That's why when we look around and we see what's going on in our world, the basic foundation, the common thread, is sin. See, when we first hear of God's grace and his forgiveness, it is something sweet to hear. It is something that doesn't bring condemnation. That's not what it's for. But it's grace. It's God's amazing grace at work in our lives, and we have right standing before God. See, we were once blinded from grace. Now you have been saved by grace. And we talked about this as being saving grace. That's when we first had that moment that we believed. And that's what it says here in verse 2 of Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Why fear? Why did grace teach my heart to fear? You see, the very fact that grace exists means that there must be an opposite to grace. That there must be cruelty. That there must be unkindness. That there must be no mercy. And so our heart is fearful when we recognize that cruelty in our world, that unkindness, that lack of mercy. And there may even be something in us, if we truly believe in a God, that maybe there's fear of judgment from God. Why? Because 
Maybe you've been threatened like this when you're a child. God knows every sin. And that can bring fear. Fear because you know and recognize the sin in your heart and the sin that you were once blinded to. So we need heart surgery. We need a heart change. You see, grace relieved those fears in the heart the moment you first believed, the moment you said that prayer. We didn't have to live in fear anymore because now we stand righteous before his throne, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. Everybody say that, new heart. And I will give you a new spirit. Everybody say, new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's a heart transplant, taking the stony heart away and transplanting it with a tender heart. In verse 27, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. He didn't leave us alone to follow his law. He gave us his Holy Spirit to give us the ability and the power to follow after his law. You see, our heart no longer needs to live in that fear. We now have a new heart. And he takes that away and he gives us a new heart. This morning I want to ask you to remember back. Do you remember the hour you first believed? Do you remember the moment? Do you remember the emotion when you at first made your faith your own? It's no longer your parents or your grandparents. It's now my faith. Do you remember the feeling of the weight that was lifted of that sin that you were carrying around? With some of you, it may, may have made, meant a lot of emotions, tears, relief, joy. For others, it was just a moment of decision. And you sensed God moving you. You see, God takes the fearful heart and turns it into a tender heart. He does a heart transplant in us. And that's his saving grace at work in our lives. But we've also talked about sustaining grace. And that's what this next line is about. Through many dangers toils and snares. We're not talking about a drum. Snares, things that trap us. I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. How many of you have been through some dangers, toils, and snares? Some struggles, some battles in your life. And that's exactly what this song is talking about. John Newton didn't say, hey, I had this perfect life and I came to Jesus and everything was perfect afterwards, praise God. You see, there was a lot of other stuff before the praise God part, and we added that later. Right? Before he sang praise God, there's all this other stuff that happened, the dangers, the toils, the snares. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh. He says, so from, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, what? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles, 
the dangerous toils and snares that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's God's sustaining grace, giving us grace for every moment of our lives. The things that we never thought we could make it through, sometimes we look past, sometimes we look in, like back on those things, and we see that God's grace was guiding us the entire way. You see, we live in a world filled with the lies of the enemy, and there are traps all along the way, and there are trials in life, and there are battles, and there were addictions, and there's pain, and there's death, many dangers and snares. Socket to maritime students this morning, and many students are just dealing with depression. Trials of life. These are the dangers. These are the toils. These are the snares that happen in our lives. We can add to that coronavirus, strained race relations, violence, frustration, economic hardship. What is the message from God to us in this moment of time, in this season? Here's the message. My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough to get you through. His power works best in our weakness. You see, when we're weak, you know what we do? We have prayer gatherings. We meet in Plymouth and we begin to pray. We meet on the mall in Washington and we go to prayer. Because when we're not weak, we're looking for ways that we can solve the problem. But in our weakness, who do we turn to? The only one that can solve the problem. Grace has brought you safe thus far. And grace will lead you home. Through it all, you've learned to trust in Jesus. He's continuing to shape our heart. And as I read this this, this morning, even just what I said... It brought another song to my mind. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. You see, his grace will be with you the rest of your days, helping you through it all, giving you grace in the moments of life that you need it. And that grace will sustain us even into the afterlife. And of course, that brings us to the next line. When we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You see, his grace will see us right to the end, even into eternity. We will continue to worship into eternity, thankful for how his grace has brought us through for helping us to see our own sin and saving us, that saving grace, for sustaining us through every danger, every toil, every snare, and leading us right into the end, into eternity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to have amazing grace just playing in the background today. Maybe this morning you recognize sin in your life. You've been blinded to it, but now now you see it. This morning you can experience one line of amazing grace that states, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. This morning I would say this is your hour. 
This is your time to experience God's amazing grace at work in your life. It can begin today. It's as simple as saying a prayer and meaning it from your heart, just like we sang Amazing Grace, and I talked about how when you sing that sincerely, sometimes you're brought to tears. And that's all it means is saying a prayer, giving your heart and life to Christ. That's the first step of experiencing his grace for you, that you could be made righteous and clean and you could be forgiven today. If you'd like to do that right now in this moment, you can say this prayer after me or you can say it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me new and show me your grace. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and you rose from the dead so that I could be risen to new life. Begin your work in me today. I'm ready to experience your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. You said that prayer this morning. That's a first step to continuing to grow in your faith. And we want to continue to help you with that. Of course, you're welcome here at our church. We can also point you to some resources if you give us a call or go online to our website, hcconcapecod.com. Now, this morning, you may notice in your pews something a little different, a little something extra right there in front of you. A little cup. And when we do this, the word says that we do this in remembrance of him. We remember just what Christ did for us on the cross. And we remember that through communion. Is there anyone that needs one this morning that you don't have enough in your pew or you don't have one? One in the back. Can someone grab one for the back there, Joe? I think they're back there on a table. Thank you. You see, though we live in a world where many things can be done virtually, communion was not meant to be experienced virtually. It's meant to experience in community. These are physical elements, not digital elements this morning. And these elements remind us of how much we are in need of God's grace and how grace was given to us. And more importantly, that grace came at a cost. Grace was not cheap. And this reminds us of the price that was paid. It reminds us of the blood that was shed and the grape juice and the body that was broken for our sin. Grace was not cheap. It came at a great cost for you and me. This morning, if you want to go ahead and open it, there's a top layer there for the wafer and then a second layer for the juice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 through 26, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church about this rite of communion. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and break that bread and partake. Father, we thank you for the body broken for us. We thank you for the price that was paid for our sin. 
verse 25, it says, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. This morning, go ahead and partake of the, the juice. Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed for us on the cross, that we could experience your grace and forgiveness for each one of us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We remember you today and the sacrifice made. If everyone could stand this morning as we prepare to close. It says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And this is a scriptural truth, that he has come and he died and he rose again to be at the right hand of the Father, but he will return. And until he returns, we are to take this and remember who he is this morning. Father, I thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your work in our lives. Let it continue and let us live lives of grace and let us extend it to others. Now this morning as we close, I have a special video for you. This was recorded in 1972 at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church. And I know there's not a football game today, so you don't have to rush out. But I'd like you just to take a few moments and just listen to this powerful rendition done by Aretha Franklin uh, of amazing grace this morning before you head out. God bless you. <laughs> 